Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart and Happy Thanksgiving Day to you. I hope that you're enjoying this day with your family. I'm so glad that you're taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to the broadcast today. Today, we'll continue on how to avoid drifting. And, you know, caring for people is one of the things that will really help you to avoid drifting in your relationship with the Lord. I read a very moving story. And there's a husband with Alzheimer's. And he proposed again to his wife of 38 years. Uh, Michael Joyce's memory and some of his speech was snatched away by Alzheimer's. I mean, the disease was so advanced that he forgot he was married to his wife of 38 years. But he is in love with her. And he is also an honorable man. So he proposed to her on a recent morning. And she said, yes, you don't say Oh, you're already married, Linda Joy said, age 64. But she said, of course, I will be happy to remember you. And she thought, well, he won't remember this. But the next morning, Michael Joyce, age 68, woke up and asked her, so what are we doing this? Well, according to this article, here's how Linda invited her friends and community to their second wedding. She wrote, My adored husband of 38 years suffers from Alzheimer's. Two nights ago, out of the blue, with tear-filled eyes, he asked me to marry him. Michael had clearly forgotten we were already married, but I, I absolutely went along with him and I said I would be delighted to be called his wife. Well, in spite of his confused mind, he obviously knows and feels this is something he really wants to do. To Michael, it will be our wedding ceremony, and to our friends and to myself, it will be a truly precious memorial occasion. On their wedding morning, Linda Joyce said she wasn't sure that he would even remember that today was the day where they're going to get married, but he woke up and he told his betrothed, today is the day. The beaming couple from Scotland exchanged vows at a scenic lake near their home as friends looked on. There's been a lot of sadness, a lot of frustration, Linda Joyce said, and despite all the fogginess, today has been pure joy. Well, I hope today is pure joy for you as you celebrate all that God has done, and we have so much to be thankful for. I also want to encourage you today that if you are sensing that you are drifting, maybe you feel like you're drifting in a relationship with your spouse or you're drifting with your relationship with the Lord or somebody else, I want to encourage you with today's message and remind you that we can stop the drifting by resolving conflicts. We learned yesterday in the broadcast that there was a big conflict between Abraham and his nephew, Lot. And so Lot was the guy who really should have had no say in the matter. But he's given an opportunity to live on the side where there is greater provision. So the conflict gets resolved because of Abraham taking the lead. You know, if there's a conflict that you have with somebody, don't wait for them to take the lead. You take the lead. Because as we resolve conflict, we're able to produce unity. Yes, produce unity. So Abraham and Lot, and we're in the book of Genesis chapter 13, Abraham said to Lot, let's not have all this quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine. 
For we're close relatives. In other words, this relationship that we have, this is an important relationship. I don't want it to be torn apart because of your herdsmen fighting with my herdsmen. And so this is what Abraham said. This whole land is before you. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You choose. Uh, He's very specific on what the conflict is. We have so much prosperity here uh, that we can't manage it all. And now it's created conflict. That's where the conflict's over. So to fix this conflict, I'm going to give you an opportunity to go this way, and then I'll go that way. He says, we're going to part company, and we're going to do it in a gracious way. So conflict resolution stops drifting and produces unity. Number two, if we're going to resolve conflict in our lives, we must remove selfishness. Now you think about conflicts because I want control. I want my way. But if we decide to eliminate salvation, we will also stop the drifting. Genesis 13.10 says, Lot looked around and he saw that that whole plain of Jordan toward Zor was very well watered. It was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And so here we see Lot chose the better for himself. However, Abraham removed selfishness. You know, Satan loves to feed into our selfishness. But if we will eradicate selfishness, we will discover that we can live in victory. You know, true happiness doesn't come from being a selfish person. Selflessness is what produces long-term happiness. Let's look at where it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, a real simple way to figure this out is by asking yourself this very simple question. Would I rather be person A or person B? Person A is the person that is kind of down on their luck. And so they come to you and says, hey, can you help a brother out? I'm down on my luck. Can I borrow $10 from you? Would you rather be that person or would you rather be person B, that person that is being asked, can I borrow $10? Well, I don't know about you, but I'd rather be that person who has the extra 10 bucks that I could give to somebody if they need it than to be that person who is out asking for that handout. You know, oftentimes people will stop by the church and they'll say to the receptionist, hey, is the pastor in? I was wondering if I could talk to the pastor for just a minute. Nine times out of 10, when that happens, that person has stopped by the church and they need some help. Maybe they need some gas or some food or or, or some other kind of help. You know, I used to kind of get a little resentful toward that. And I said, man, the only time these people come here is when they want something. But then one day I got thinking about that. And I says, in all of my life here on this planet Earth, I have never had to pull into a church parking lot, go inside and ask the reception if I could talk to the pastor because I needed some money or I needed some gas. I've never had to do that. I've always had my needs taken care of, and uh, I've always had a family that would take care of me and friends that would help me in any way. I've never had to resort to going to a complete stranger uh, in a church that I don't know and say, hey, can you help me out? Uh, So I think if you're honest, you'll say it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. If you're going to resolve conflict, you've got to be able to remove selfishness. If you're going to stop the drifting, You've got to address the areas of conflict in your life, and you've got to eradicate selfishness, but then you've also got to rely on God's promises. 
Going back to the story of Abraham and Lot, we discover that it appears that Abraham got the short end of the stick. It seems like he's going to come out and he's going to be hurting because his uh, selfish nephew Lot took the best for himself. But look what it says in Genesis chapter 13. It says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had departed him, you know, after Lot took the best, God says, listen, I want you to look around. I want you to look to the north and to the south, to the east and the west, all that land that you see. I'm going to give it to you and to your offspring. Trusting the promise, Abraham went to live near the great trees of the Mamre and Hebron, where he pitched his tent, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Abraham looked like he lost in a deal with Lot, and he was probably a little set back that Lot, who owned everything, had taken advantage of Abraham, and he chose the best for himself. But we discover, in spite of that, Abraham worshipped the Lord. He built an altar to the Lord because he was trusting the promise that God had given to him. You see, whatever we, we trust in, that is what we're worshiping. God's delays are not his denials. Lot built no altars for worship. He didn't build an altar to God because he wasn't trusting God. He was trusting himself to expand and build on his prosperity. His decisions were always based on what was best for him, not what was best for God or or best for others. You see, we don't hear Abraham complaining that he got the short end of the stick. Uh, He doesn't say, I was wronged by Lot. See, by right, Lot should not even been given an opportunity to make a choice. Lot was a carnally-minded Christian, but Abraham was spiritually-minded. Well, there's something else that we got to look at here as we think about this matter of drifting. You see, if you want to avoid drifting, you've got to be involved in rescuing others. Don't become consumed with only your agenda that you forget about others who need to be rescued. In Genesis chapter 14, we read about four kings coming against five, and we discover that Lot is in the middle of this mess. And who comes along to to rescue him? None other than Uncle Abraham, Uh, rescuing Lot. You see, Lot pitched his tents too close to Sodom and Gomorrah. He began having relationships with those who were out of God's will for his life. As a result, he finds himself in a situation where he is about to lose his possessions, about to lose his family, about to lose everything. You know, the psalmist said this, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. You know, as I think about that, when we're drifting in our relationships, uh, we're not concerned about what is happening to other people. Uh, We're just kind of checked out. You know, righteousness produces this ultimate respect. In Proverbs 14, 34, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You know, I think about our enemies as they come against us and and how our enemy can do a lot of damage. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, The greatest enemy to human souls is the self-righteous spirit which makes men look to themselves 
for salvation. Lot thought he could get himself out of a mess, but he discovered soon that he was in over his head. He had made some really selfish choices. He was basing his whole movement on what was best for me. And as a result, he finds himself in a jam. So Abraham comes along and Abraham rescues him. But there's one other thing that we've got to look at when we're drifting in our relationships. Rejoice in God's provision. I want us to look at a section of the story, jumping into Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 24. I'm just going to read this, and I'm going to make a few comments along the way. We pick up the story, and it says, Then Melchizedek. Melchizedek means, My king is righteous. It says, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which is short for Jerusalem, the king of Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God, the Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be the Most High God, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then it says, Abram gave a tenth of everything. And as I look at this, this tenth of everything, uh, so many people say, well, giving of the tenth of everything or tithe to the Lord is not expected in New Testament because it was given under the law. But here we see that this was a thing that Abram was doing before the law was even given. We're in Genesis. The law wasn't given to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Abraham gave a tenth of everything. The king of Salem said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hands, I have sworn an oath to the Lord today, to the God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Now, Abram here is given uh, some really good theology. He's driving home the point that he is going to be rescued from this dilemma by the God Most High. The God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth, is the one that has given him victory. And he's not going to depend on somebody else to take care of him. He says, the Lord takes care of me. I don't want you to think you have made me rich. It is the Lord that has made me rich. I don't want you to say, I made Abraham rich. He says, I will accept nothing but that which men have eaten in my and shared that belongs to the men who went with me. Now, this is amazing when we see what is happening here. Abraham is so thankful to God for giving him victory and rescuing Lot. He is so thankful to God and how God has provided for him. He gives back out of a heart of gratitude. You see, thankfulness produces blessings. We are not thankful for that which we do not give. So as we think about true thanksgiving, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, right? We think about true thanksgiving, it's involving not just verbal appreciation, but a tangible gift. In Psalm 28, 7, it says, The Lord is our strength and our shield. I will trust in him with all of my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out with songs of thanksgiving. Wow. You know, one day, Hudson Taylor 
was traveling on a Chinese vessel, and he was witnessing to a man named Peter. Uh, Peter rejected the gospel, but he was under deep conviction. In the course of events, this man Peter fell overboard, but nobody made any effort to save him. Hudson Taylor sprang forth from the mast, and, and he went down the sail and jumped overboard in hopes of finding his friend. But no one on board joined Taylor in his frantic search. Taylor saw a fishing boat nearby, and he, and he yelled to them for help, but they wouldn't do it without money. Finally, after bartering for every penny that Taylor had, the fishermen stopped their fishing and began to look for Peter. In less than a minute of dragging their nets, they found him, but it was too late. Now, they were too busy fishing to care about saving a drowning man. We can easily condemn the selfishness and the indifference of these fishermen, but by indicting them, we may condemn ourselves too. Are we too busy with our jobs, with other activities, to take the time to rescue those who are perishing? When I think about the story of Abraham, Abraham had a nephew that finds himself in a very bad situation. Abraham could have justified, well, he made his own bed, let him go ahead and lie in it, but he didn't. He says, I'm going to go rescue my nephew, Lot. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Oh, today I want to encourage you as you listen to this broadcast, are you in a position where you can help somebody navigate through the difficulties of life? You know, life is so short. It amazes me how quickly life will pass. You see, we only have one life to live, and so soon it's going to be gone. Only what is done for Christ will last. Well, I want to encourage you in the moments that we have left in the broadcast is to look at how God has delivered you and how you can be involved in delivering other people. You see, most people know about the passion of Martin Luther King Jr. and how he is so passionate about bringing about racial justice. And he was wanting to do it with nonviolence, right? However, some people aren't as familiar with King's deep personal faith in Christ. As a matter of fact, in, the, in his book, Welcoming Justice, Charles Marsh describes one of King's profound encounters with the risen Savior. In January of 1956, Martin Luther King Jr. returned home about midnight. It had been a long day of meetings. His wife and young daughter were already in bed, and King was eager to join them. But a threatening call, uh, that kind of call that, that he was getting as many as 30 to 40 times a day, interrupted his attempt to get some much-needed rest. When he tried to go back to bed, he couldn't shake that menacing voice that kept repeating that hateful word in his head. King got up, made a pot of coffee, and he sat down at his kitchen table. With his head buried in, in his hands, he cried out to God. There in his kitchen, in the middle of the night, when he had come to the end of his strength, King met the living Christ in an experience that would carry him through the remainder of his life. This is what he said. 
I heard the voice of Jesus saying, Still to fight on. King later recalled, He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. He promised to never leave me. No, never leave me alone. In the stillness of that Alabama night, the voice of Jesus proved more convincing than the threatening voice of that anonymous caller. The voice of Jesus gave him the courage to press through that tumultuous year of 1956 to the victorious end of the Montgomery bus boycott. More than that, it gave him a vision for ministry that would drive him for the rest of his life. Psalm 34:19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Listen, don't get hung up on being defeated. Being defeated is often a temporary condition. Giving us what makes it permanent is if we get stuck in that position. It's only temporary. God will indeed bring about deliverance. Hang in there. Don't quit. You know, Paul said at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Three things Paul says are necessary. I got to fight it. I got to keep fighting the good fight. I can't give up. I got to keep fighting. And number two, he says, I have finished the race. Listen, there's no virtue in dropping out of anything. Finish the race that God has placed you in. And then he says, I have kept the faith. In other words, I didn't make any compromises along the way. I kept to the tenacity of the gospel. I didn't compromise on the doctrine of God's word. And so then Paul says, because I have fought, because I have finished, because I've kept, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. And it says not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. You see, Paul knew when he wrote this and to young Timothy, he says, my departure is at hand. In other words, uh, the anchor's been pulled up and the ship is set to sail. But Paul was going to fight the good fight. You know, not all fights are worth fighting for. Uh, and some are not beneficial at all. But as you are involved in that fight and fighting the good fight, remember that God will give you the strength. You know, you think about how brief life is. You know, today you will take approximately 23,000 breaths. And we do that every single day. But when was the last time you thank God for one of them? You see, the process of inhaling oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide is a complicated respiratory task that requires physiological precision. We tend to thank God for the things that take our breath away, and that's fine. But maybe we should thank God every single breath of the day as well. You see, we have this opportunity that has been presented before us. I was reading Charles Spurgeon's morning and evening devotional, and he asked a question on the January 19th devotional. Did you lose Christ by sin? You will find Christ in no other way but by giving up of your sin and seeking by the Holy Spirit to mortify the member in which the lust doth dwell. Did you lose Christ by neglecting the Scriptures? You must find Christ in the Scriptures. It is a true proverb. Look for the thing where you dropped it. It is there. 
Maybe today you've kind of got off track. I want you to know that God wants to bring you back on the right track. He guides us along the right path for his name's sake. When we are involved in, in leading others, we can get weary. We can get tired. But I want you to know that we must focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't focus on getting back at a person who's done you wrong or even thinking about how much they have hurt you. Forgive and live as if that offense never took place. You know, after an offense has been confronted, it's time to move on. Don't get stuck in a rut. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I want to personally invite you to come and worship at Hickory Ridge Community Church. I would love to see you this Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1045. Would love to worship with you. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. Uh, we have programs for your children. We have a nursery for and preschool for your younger children. Uh, we even have a youth Sunday school class during our, our second service. Hey, why don't you come and worship with us this Sunday? It'd be a joy to have you worship with us. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Now, if I can pray for you, uh, maybe you have a prayer request that's weighing heavy on you. Would you shoot me a text, 252-267-2365? I'd be happy to pray for you. I got a whole team of people praying for you. Well, God bless you. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.